Welcome to Infinite Earth Radio. We believe that in a world of finite natural resources, a smart and sustainable future is only possible by lifting up people and unleashing unlimited human potential. Infinite Earth Radio will not only help you learn from bright, visionary civic leaders who are building smarter, more inclusive and sustainable communities, but you'll discover how you can bring these ideas to your community. And now, here are your hosts, Mike Hancocks and Vernice Miller-Travis. Welcome back to Infinite Earth Radio, where we talk with thought leaders and change agents who are transforming the future by building smarter, more sustainable, and more equitable communities. This is your host, Mike Hancocks, and today we continue our series of podcasts on urban resilience in partnership with our friends at Island Press. Island Press is the world's leading publisher of books on the environment, And if you want to learn more about Island Press or the Urban Resilience Project, go to www.islandpress.org slash capital U-R-P. If you'd like to keep up with us here at Infinite Earth Radio, go to our website, infiniteearthradio.com, and subscribe to get weekly updates on the podcast and other sustainability and equity issues in the news. Today's podcast was recorded several weeks ago before Hurricane Harvey devastated eastern Texas and part of Louisiana. But the subject is very timely as we, as a nation, come to grips with how we will better manage climate change impacts going forward, particularly dramatic changes in hydrological cycles and events that cause severe rain events and flooding uh, and stormwater management challenges that communities across the country increasingly need to face. Our topic today is green stormwater management. Our guest is Corinne Kistner. Director of Programs at the National Association of City Transportation Officials, or NACTO for short. Welcome, Corinne. How are you today? Hello. Thanks so much for having me. So, Corinne, can you start by sharing with our audience what the National Association of City Transportation Officials is all about? Absolutely. NACTO is an association of 55 member cities and transit agencies across North America, formed to help exchange best practices and ideas in city transportation and raise the bar nationally for what city transportation can do in cities. Fantastic. So NACTO, in conjunction with Island Press, has a new book out, The Urban, or, or soon to come out, The Urban Street Stormwater Guide, which provides planning and design guidance for green stormwater infrastructure on city streets and for the design and engineering of stormwater management practices that support goals for improving mobility and streets as human places while reducing the impacts of stormwater runoff and human activity on natural ecological processes. I want to start by, by saying I, I had a chance to review the book this weekend, and it looks fantastic. Not only is there great substance, I think that the way the information is presented, the graphics, the visuals really are just, it's really a fantastic guide. Thank you. Thanks. So why don't you to explain to our audience why sustainable stormwater management matters and, and why transportation officials should be concerned about stormwater management? Yeah, it's a great question. I'll start by saying that NACTO has been working for a number of years now to really change the paradigm about what streets are for, who they're for, and and how they're designed. I think there's a, a very common misconception that the way streets look today is the way that they have always looked and the way that they will always look and that they're sort of a fixed asset that can't be changed. But that's certainly not true. And we've been seeing cities across the country really thinking critically about the design of streets and how that plays into city goals 
for sustainability and equity and access um, and really livable, vibrant cities. So cities have been doing some excellent work to design streets as places for people, thinking about that space as a public space um, and sort of correcting this decades long assumption that streets are primarily to be designed for moving cars quickly, um, which is what has sort of been the, the norm for far too long. So building on that work that NACTO has been doing for a number of years, the network of cities that we work with was starting to think critically too about how streets play a role in the stormwater infrastructure and the stormwater network within a city. Most streets are very impervious, meaning that water can't absorb through the concrete or the asphalt into the ground. And so you just get enormous volumes of stormwater runoff running across streets and into storm drains that really separates water from the natural cycle and causes water pollution and is very expensive to treat and manage. So we saw a real opportunity here for using streets as part of a greener way to deal with this environmental challenge. Um, and there's really a natural connection between stormwater and transportation, which is the physical world of the street and how those streets are designed. I think one of the fantastic things about the book is how it really kind of brings together this idea that by doing a better job of more naturally managing the stormwater and not treating it as a waste, but treating it as a, a vital resource and doing that in a way that actually creates more vibrant streets. It creates more livable streets, streets that are more attractive to people. So can you explain a little bit about what are the benefits? You know, so, I mean, obviously there's some, there's some environmental benefit, some social benefit, but maybe you go a little deeper on the benefits of, of green stormwater infrastructure mm-hmm. using it in street design. Yeah, absolutely. I think for far too long, we've really thought about urban design and um, urban infrastructure as single purpose infrastructure. Streets are for moving cars. Stormwater infrastructure is for capturing stormwater. And what we're seeing is that there's a really tremendous opportunity to overlay some of those functions together and have infrastructure that really does more bang for its buck. So when you layer on stormwater infrastructure with mobility infrastructure in streets, you can really make the most of what is essentially a very limited asset, a limited street space within cities. And so you can start to sort of peel away some of the asphalt, which, as I mentioned, is impervious and doesn't allow the water to seep through. Kind of peel that away and carve out additional space for bike lanes, for bus stops, for um, additional pedestrian infrastructure, and at the same time, really put in bioswales and rain gardens and stormwater retention facilities that achieve more than, than a single purpose. And so on the envir- environmental front, in addition to the stormwater management, there's some heat island effect benefits, I would assume, that we're, we're reducing kind of, if we have more tree cover or more vegetative cover and less asphalt, there's less heat being generated. But I think one of the things that really kind of fascinates me the most is the, the degree to which these principles really are creating more livable places, places that are more desirable to people and, and actually making cities more attractive as a place to live. Any thoughts on that or any, any examples of places where you think that that has occurred? No, that, that's spot on. Um, when we think about the types of cities that we want to live in, as, as more and more people are moving back to cities, it's really critical to have green space as part of our urban design. It's so critical for human health, both, both physical health and mental health, and also just our enjoyment and the experience of living in a city. So some examples, you know, we know, for instance, that waiting at a bus stop feels longer when there's no green space around. So if you add in some trees, it can shorten the perception of wait times at a bus stop. It also has 
obviously very direct impacts on physical health through air quality mitigation, the urban heat island effect that you mentioned, sort of reducing those core temperatures in cities. So yeah, it's absolutely part of designing livable spaces. I think, you know, there's some really great pictures in the book that's showing kind of projects before and after, some that have been completed and then some proposed, I think really shows that just so how much more vibrant and attractive the streetscape becomes while you're making your stormwater system better and, and reducing the environmental impacts. The book highlights successful projects in a variety of cities. Any sense of why certain projects work? What, what are some of the characteristics of projects that work well? Yeah, well, let me first say that the, the book very intentionally highlights successful projects um, around the country. NACTO's sort of code for success for our series of guidebooks that we've put out, um, beginning with the Urban Bikeway Design Guide in 2011 and the Urban Street Design Guide in 2013, um, was to really codify those best practices happening around the country and demonstrate what is possible. And I think, like you're saying, that the visuals um, of the changes on the street are so critical for communicating what can be possible and really giving people tools to reimagine how streets can look. Um, so everything in the Urban Street Stormwater Guide is based on a real practice happening um, somewhere around the country. So a few that I really love, there's a project in St. Paul and Minneapolis, Minnesota, called the Metro Green Line, which is a major transit investment in light rail connecting the two cities, the, the downtowns of both cities. And so while the cities had this opportunity to make a major investment in transportation infrastructure, they also invested in stormwater infrastructure, adding in bioswales and street trees and other stormwater infrastructure that um, really manages the runoff from that corridor. So it's an economic development tool. It's a livable cities tool. It's a stormwater tool and it's a transportation tool all at the same time. There are other great projects from a shared street outside a business in Chattanooga that was a really successful public-private partnership to some reallocation of underused asphalt in Philadelphia. I think the common thread, though, for what makes these projects successful is really having a strong connection between the different departments and agencies and stakeholders that need to be involved. Uh, I think a major reason why we haven't seen more of these projects is that you know, the transportation departments often control what happens on the surface of a street and water departments or utility departments are responsible for managing the infrastructure underneath the surface of the street. So you have two entirely different agencies working within the same physical realm above the surface and below the surface. And so building the connections and the, the interdepartmental agreements to work towards these shared goals is a critical part of making these projects successful. Yeah, that interagency collaboration seems so key. So many things. Well, let's come back to that in a second. But one of the things I wanted to point out about the book that I thought was really so much better than a lot of other books that I've read, similar books on similar subjects, is you actually go through in the book all kinds of different types of streets and show examples of how you incorporate green uh, stormwater infrastructure into those street designs. It's kind of a catalog or a how-to. If you have this type of street, here's an example. And, and then the, the next section of the book goes through examples of specific tools or specific elements. Could you maybe share some of the elements that really help to make green infrastructure work um, within a street design of a city? You know, the book takes, takes the reader through a number of different street typologies as you mentioned, um, with the goal to demonstrate the different considerations and different opportunities 
in, say, a downtown street versus a small residential boulevard. And then in the following chapter, looks at different techniques and tools and, and sort of the toolbox, the available set of facilities that a designer can use when putting together a stormwater street. So that's everything from a bioretention planter, which is often located in the sidewalk or at the curb, um, using vegetation to capture stormwater and infiltrate it into the water table, or a stormwater tree, which has the benefits of collecting a significant amount of stormwater, as well as providing shade um, and helping with the urban street island effect. Cities have also used permeable pavement, which um, allows water to soak through into the water table below. So it's really up to the designer to look at the local context and understand where are the opportunity points, where are there places for sort of win-win designs, and which tools are available to fit into that configuration. Yeah, and then the and then the next section of the book rolls into a, a real kind of practical uh, about partnerships and programs and and how to actually implement green infrastructure. So, what are some of the challenges to stormwater street design with regard to things like zoning, collaboration, and uh, the the design of these kinds of projects? What are some of the bigger challenges that cities face? Yeah, this is arguably the most important chapter because it's. It's one thing to sort of reimagine how streets can look and a very different thing altogether to actually make those changes happen in the street. So some of the most common challenges are that interagency collaboration that I was mentioning, um, where you have different departments and, and different stakeholders responsible for different elements of the street. Maintenance can be a really big challenge. Uh, it's really critical when planning and designing a project to account for the long-term maintenance. And then, of course, funding or financing. Although what we found is that once cities start to build these interagency partnerships, it can really unlock different funding streams and provide opportunities for leveraging different streams of funding. So if you're a city planner, uh, if I were a city planner, what should I keep in mind when designing or implementing a stormwater sh- a street project? Are there some key elements or key considerations that should be foremost in my mind? I would keep in mind the range of people who it's important to talk to. Um, I think there's a lot of opportunities But too often in city government, there are silos between departments and one department might not realize until too late that a project is happening when there could have been an opportunity for some sort of collaboration. So if you're a stormwater designer thinking about opportunities to partner with the transit agency or with the bike planners, um, thinking about ways that a bioswale can provide the protection for a bike lane or can provide some additional space for pedestrians crossing the street. Um, There's a lot of opportunities for some different city goals to align within the same street, but it's really important to talk to different people across the city and across different stakeholders to make those happen. Yeah, that's, it's so critically important. One of uh, the experiences that we've had in working with communities around the country, and so we do some work trying to facilitate conversations to get people to see stormwater drainage and other infrastructure issues together and work across departments. But one of the things that we kind of see almost universally wherever we go is that, and you talk about this in your book in terms of the, one of the Green Street principles is to promote health and equity in human habitat. We see an underinvestment in infrastructure universally in underserved and minority communities across the country. So, If we go someplace like, you know, Minneapolis, St. Paul or Seattle or Atlanta, we tend to see those projects where there's heavy investment in green infrastructure or 
nicer streetscapes, they tend to be in the nicer neighborhoods. They tend to be in the neighborhoods where people have more money. Are there any examples or can you think of examples where communities have really used this notion of green infrastructure as a community building, community development strategy in under-resourced communities? Yeah, it's it's critically important, like you said, because it's far too often that low-income neighborhoods or communities of color are disinvested in terms of street infrastructure. Um, and that goes back to the decades of auto-centric planning and, and design in cities with highways cutting through neighborhoods and, and far too much space devoted to asphalt. So it's, it's an uphill battle to undo that work and that status quo of planning and design. But a number of cities across the country are really tackling that and, and making sure that their investments are equitably distributed and very thoughtful in terms of health and livability and economic development um, and are sensitive to those concerns. So an interesting strategy that some cities have taken is to partner with community groups on not only the design and planning for stormwater in the street, but also the maintenance of those facilities. So building partnerships with community groups to develop some job opportunities through maintenance of street infrastructure. Is there a role for green stormwater infrastructure in areas where the climate is drier, where stormwater is not such an issue? Oh, absolutely. In those dry areas, it's as important, if not more so, in terms of collecting stormwater, retaining that stormwater, and using the valuable resource rather than letting it run off the street into the drain. So Tucson, Arizona, is actually a leader in terms of zeroscaping and reclaiming water as a resource for reuse. We talked about communities, you know, maybe as an economic development strategy in under-resourced communities, but how can green infrastructure projects like stormwater management change a city's kind of growth and development in a positive way? I think they can, you know, integrating stormwater infrastructure into the street can really change a city's design in a positive way. I think we often think of green space in cities as, you know, a major park, sort of a, a central attraction that requires a lot of space and a lot of funding. Um, but there are a lot of opportunities for injecting green space throughout a city through more acupuncture approach. Um, I think it can have a big impact on people's daily life if the streets that they are walking down to catch the bus or to go to school have shade and have street trees and greenery and vegetation. That can have a big impact. So I think there's a, yeah, there's this great opportunity for just changing the overall aesthetic of a city, as well as thinking critically about the kinds of investments that we're making in a, you know, a cash-strapped era in terms of infrastructure. Does it make sense to invest hundreds of million doll- millions of dollars in gray stormwater infrastructure when we can mitigate at least some of those impacts using a much more win-win kind of approach on the, on the street level? I think a lot of cities are starting to grapple with that question. So is, is green infrastructure more expensive or less expensive than traditional infrastructure approaches? It depends on the project. I think it's important to look at the life cycle of the project. I mentioned maintenance, which is important for green infrastructure. That's obviously important for gray infrastructure as well. The pipes and tanks um, have a, a pretty long maintenance schedule. So it depends on the scale and the size of the project. But I think a lot of cities are finding that Green infrastructure can be a really cost-effective complement because it has so many other benefits at the same time, rather than just being that single-purpose infrastructure. So I know in New York City, for example, the estimate for updating the city's stormwater system to control their combined sewer overflow problem using only gray infrastructure 
would have been about $6.8 billion over 20 years. But by blending green strategies with the gray infrastructure, they were able to reduce that cost by a billion and a half dollars, which is no small feat. Yeah, I think the, I would think the other important thing to, is to think in terms of even if you were spending more dollars, you might be getting twice as much impact, right? You're getting a nicer a streetscape. You're getting a more attractive place. You're getting a place that's more desirable for people to live. You know, private sector developers, are they want to build on golf courses because that's where people want to live. It makes the property more valuable, which increases your tax base, et cetera. So you, like you said, you have to kind of take this holistic life cycle approach to thinking about these investments. Exactly. So before we go any further, is the book currently available and where should people, where can people go to buy the book? It is. It's currently available from our publisher, Island Press. Um, it's also available at bookstores and on booksellers online around the country. And so just can you give the folks the um, the title of the book again so that they can go look for it on Amazon or, or uh, at Island Press? It's the Urban Street Stormwater Guide, published by NACTO. It's available on islandpress.org. Fantastic. So really, this book is really one of the best. I mean, I'm, I'm an urban planner. I, I've read a ton of urban planning books. I've read some books on the subject of stormwater management. This is really a great book. It's really well put together. It's, it's very thorough. It gives a lot of detail and helping people to think about how to actually implement things. But what's the next step? What, what do we need to do? You've written this great book. Now, what's the next thing we need to do in order to get more cities, more municipalities really implementing green infrastructure as part of their normal course of, of business? Yeah, well, first of all, thank you for saying that about the book. That's, that's great to hear. But I'll say that one of the most fun parts of putting together this book was working with a network of cities around the country. We engaged people from the transportation departments and the water departments from NACTO member cities across the country. So really bringing this excellent interdisciplinary expertise to the project um, that I think allowed it to be so thorough and, and rich in detail and bring that very holistic perspective to the book. So because it was written by cities and for cities, part of the goal is to really raise awareness of, of the type of work that is at the cutting edge of stormwater and transportation. So I think the next step is to continue getting this resource in the hands of cities across the country um, and continue fostering this network of professionals who are working to implement it on the ground. And I would think for local folks, I think one of the great services of the book is, again, the, these visuals that show these principles actually implemented on the street. Because I think that the public, you know, if the public realized that this were an option, they would, they would be demanding it, right? Because it's just such a more attractive streetscape. It's such a more livable place that the elected officials or whoever is making budgetary decisions would have no choice but to do this kind of work once they realize that, you know, this is out there and people are doing it and, and they could be having this in their community. Absolutely. And again, our goal with this book was to create this visual language and give people the graphical tools to say, you know, this is how we want to design our streets. We want the bike share station to be next to this bioswale that, you know, provides protection and, and manages stormwater at the same time. So it's giving cities that permission slip to innovate with street design, giving professionals a vocabulary to collaborate across departments, and then giving community members and, and people who live in cities this graphical language and this sort of visual repertoire to talk about streets. Fantastic. Corinne, unfortunately, we, we run out of time today, but thank you so much for being here today. And thank you so much for the work that you do. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. And thank you all for listening. We look forward to seeing you next time on Infinite Earth Radio. 
Infinite Earth Radio is a podcast produced by Skio in association with the Local Government Commission. To learn more about Skio, the Local Government Commission, Infinite Earth Radio guests, or how you can make a difference in your community, visit our website at infiniteearthradio.com or join us on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash Infinite Earth Radio and Twitter by following at Infinite Earth Radio.